going to read now in God's Word from the book of Genesis. We go right back to the beginning of our Old Testaments and read from Genesis chapter 15. And uh, we'll read the, the whole of this chapter. It says up to verse 20, it's actually, there's a 21st verse there as well, which just sneaks in at the end. So we'll read the whole of Genesis chapter 15, page 13 in the Church Bibles. And we uh, have an incident in the life of Abraham, or Abram, as he is still known at this stage. Uh, I will refer to him as Abraham when I preach uh, throughout, but he'll be Abram in the reading. If that's confusing, well, come and see me afterwards, I'll explain why. But uh, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham at a later stage in his life. Let's read God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, and God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners, journeyers, pilgrims, nomads, in a land that is not theirs, And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between 
these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, ten nations. Thus the Lord spoke to Abraham. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. I want us to look particularly uh, at the first verse where the Lord speaks to Abraham in a vision and he says these words to him. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Well, what we're doing on Sunday evenings for a number of weeks is thinking about the theme which I would entitle From Fear to Encouragement. We all know what it is to be afraid. We said two weeks ago and again last week that our fears are very, very many and very varied. And we all long to be delivered from fear. We all want to be encouraged. And we started uh, two weeks ago with David in the Psalms and saw how David said, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, O Lord. And then last week we went back about 400 years before David to Moses. And Moses on that occasion when he was met by the Lord in the burning bush. And Moses was told to go and tell the people of Israel and then the people of Egypt that God would bring them out of the land. And Moses was frightened, did not want to do it. But the Lord said, I am with you. I will be with your mouth. I will, I will help you. But this evening we go back even further. We go back to another great Old Testament figure. Uh, David is very great. Moses is very great. And Abraham is very great. And this is where, brothers and sisters here at Grove Chapel tonight, we need to understand that though we are here in London, England, in the year of our Lord, 2019, and we speak languages other than ancient Hebrew or Aramaic or even Greek, we, just like the Israelites of old, should be able to say, Abraham is our father. He's our father. He may not be our biological, physical forefather. But what's far more important is that Abraham is our spiritual father. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that when we look at the life of Abraham and the way that the Lord dealt with Abraham, we see factors, uh, we see features that are exactly the same as for us. Exactly the same as for us who live 4,000 years after Abraham. One thing that the Word of God does and the Spirit of God does is to unite us with men and women who lived thousands of years ago in a very different culture, speaking a different language, wearing different clothes, eating different food, 
having a different system of government and all sorts of things. And we say, they're so far away from us. They're so foreign. They're so different. But the Word of God says, no, they're not actually. We are their companions. We are one with them. And what do I mean by that? I mean a couple of things. Abraham, in his life, like you and me, had to face many difficult circumstances and events and troubles that might make us confused, uneasy, worried, and frightened. Read the life of Abraham, and what do you see? It wasn't a quiet life. A lot went on. There was a lot of what we might call today a lot of stuff in Abraham's life, wasn't there? A lot of stuff that seemed to go pear-shaped at times and belly up and all went wrong. But it never really went wrong for him. Because the big thing with Abraham is this. God was with him. Abraham's life is lived out against the background of the Lord, the God of the covenant. And before I go any further, what do I mean by the God of the covenant? I mean the God who binds himself, who pledges himself, who swears himself, who joins himself to Abraham and his seed, his physical descendants, and we, his spiritual descendants, forever and ever. The God who says to Abraham and to us tonight, I am with you and with your children, and I will bless you and multiply you and protect you and reward you. And we are Abraham's children in these two ways, you see. We live in a confusing, frightening, uneasy, uncertain world. What will happen tomorrow at nine o'clock in your life? You don't know. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in our nation, in our world, in our family, with our health. Like Abraham didn't know half of these things either. But what's true of Abraham is true of you and me. God is with us if we are trusting in him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we have to hold on to. We live in a world where things are falling apart at the seams more than ever, aren't we? People don't trust each other, don't know what to believe. People are going around confused and dazed and worried and frightened. And in such a world as this, we need as God's people to come back to the word of God and say, we have a God who loves us and keeps us and blesses us. Now tonight's sermon is a CD sermon in two ways. It'll be available on a CD later on if you want to hear it again. But more than that, all the points of the sermon tonight uh, begin with the letters CD. You can work out what they might be, some of you, as we, uh, as we go through. But the first of them is different to the other two. The first of them is confusing delay. Okay. Now, where is Abraham, as he now is? He's Abraham later on, but Abraham, Abraham, same individual. Where is he at this point in life? Well, he's just had a bit of an adventure. If we read the previous chapter, we'll see that Abraham has been to war. He's been to war with five local kings against four local kings. 
and the five kings have defeated the four kings. Why has he got involved? Because his own nephew Lot has been caught up in this local conflict, has been, uh, has been kidnapped and seized and taken away, and Abraham has gone and hired his men, and he's become a bit of a warrior for a short time. He's gone and rescued Lot and brought Lot and others safely back home. And Abraham, at the end of that, has bravely and faithfully said to one of these kings, the king of Sodom, I will not take a reward from you. I will not let anyone say that the king of Sodom has made me rich. Now, Abraham, you see, is trusting in the Lord. The Lord has already spoken to him. The Lord is his God. But when we come to chapter 15, which is where we are this evening, we see straight away that Abraham is in great need of encouragement. Why? Because there is a confusing delay in his life. And at the beginning of chapter 15, we have these words of the Lord coming to him. Fear not, Abraham. Why might Abraham fear? Why might Abraham be very, very troubled and uneasy? Because of this confusing delay. Because he can't work out what's going on in his life. And we read in verses 2 and 3 what Abraham is actually saying. To God at this point. Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And he said, Look, you, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household, a household servant, will be my heir. I don't get it, Lord, he says. I can't make sense of my circumstances. For a while you've been saying to me, O Lord God, that you're going to make me into a great nation. I'm going to have children and grandchildren. You're going to make me into a great numerous people. But it just isn't happening. I don't have any children. And my 80, 90-year-old wife is, is barren, has never had a child. And my legal heir is no son of mine, but he's a man from Damascus who's not even related to me. Is this the way it was meant to be? There is a mismatch, thinks Abraham. There's a mismatch, Lord, between what you seem to be saying and what you've said to me very clearly and what's going on on the ground. And I can't make sense of it. And that's why I say this evening... We can understand Abraham's fear. Because what we see and what we sense traveling through this world of time and space leads us to a sense of vulnerability, uncertainty, insecurity. I never thought it would work out like this. This doesn't seem to be what you'd been saying. Am I wrong to believe God's word? Or as the psalmist says in one place, has God forgotten to be gracious to me? And God's people, like Abraham, have often at times been led to this this honest doubting and saying, Lord, 
You say one thing, but it looks like another. Why are things as they are for me? Why do things look so disappointing, so empty, so different to what I'd ever expected? Many of the Lord's servants have had to know that, haven't they? I've been reading recently about the great pioneer missionary William Carey. Must have felt this way at times, mustn't he? You've heard of William Carey, the founder of the Baptist Missionary Society, going to India in the year 1792, and his words, his quotes are are world famous, aren't they? What did he say? Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And I'm sure that Carey went to India with a big spring in his step, thinking, well, the prayers of all my my friends and brothers and sisters back in Northampton in England are going with me, and we've been having rousing prayer meetings, and the Lord is with us. And I feel a compulsion to say that we can expect great things from the Lord, and we can attempt them. What's going to happen now? And Carey went to India. And he labored there, and he translated the Bible into foreign languages, 15 or so of them over those years. What a scholar he was. How long did it take William Carey to see his first convert? Any idea? Five and a half years before a single convert to Christianity from Hinduism in India. His name was Krishna Pal. You can imagine, at times, Carey, thinking, confusing delay. What's going on? But Carey and Abraham and you and me, here's the question. What do we rely on? What do we rely on? What do we turn to? What do we rest on when we're worried and frightened and uncertain? We must never rely on what we see, what we observe, what we understand alone. Think about it. How short our lives are. How little we see. How little we know. How little we understand. We are bound in time and space. We're sinful error-prone creatures. And sometimes we do this, don't we? We, we second-guess God. We say, ah, oh, well, I think I know that God is allowing this for these reasons. I know why God's let this happen. It's because of this. I've worked it all out now. I know the mind of God. And actually, we haven't really, have we? Why do we think we have the, the ability to do that? What comfort can we gain from our own human understanding. We need something far stronger and more robust to rest our hopes on. And so we come to the second CD. In the face of this confusing delay, what do we have here from the Lord? Well, we have a covenant declaration. That's bigger and better and stronger. What does God say to Abraham at the beginning of this chapter? Fear not, Abram. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Or as some older translations put it, 
I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And that seems a good translation. What could be a a bigger or better reward for Abraham than the reward of knowing God himself? But here's the point. What should you and I do when we are afraid? Do we sit down and try and work out through the circumstances what we think has happened and why it's happened and try and almost work out God's mind for him? No. We can't do that. If we try and do that, we wear ourselves out. We distress ourselves. You remember Psalm 131. It talks about the psalmist who says, perhaps after a period of struggling, Lord, I, I do not preoccupy my mind with these high and lofty things. My heart is not exalted to try and work out what your plans are. I can't work out what your plans are for me. These are secret things that belong to you. I don't know your secret mind, O Lord God, but what I've done is I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting in its mother's arms. I've stopped trying to work out my life and the reasons for these struggles myself, and I'm just saying, underneath me are these warm, strong, everlasting arms. I'm going to... I'm going to lean back and fall back in the arms of God. Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm with you. Notice this, though. This is the God who says, as we see so often in the Scriptures, I am your shield. And that I am is always so powerful. It reminds us, it reminds us that God is the Self-existent, eternal, infinite, almighty, I am being. But more than that, those words, I am, they take us back to Moses again, don't they? Where we were last Sunday evening. They take us back to the burning bush. And uh, Moses says to the Lord, who shall I say sent me? When people ask me which God has sent me, who shall I say? And God says, tell them, I am. I am that I am. I am has sent you. The I am. Who is this I am? He is the covenant God of his people. He is the God who says, I, the Lord, the God who made the heavens and the earth, I am choosing, selecting, calling to myself a particular people. Not just these people in Grove Chapel, you understand? People all over the world, in every age, in every place, who God sets his saving love on in Jesus Christ. And he says to them, I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's the covenant. I'm pledging, I'm determining, I'm promising, I'm swearing says God, I will be your God. These promises come to those who are God's people. What is salvation all about? What is Christianity all about? Is it it about people trying to look for God and stumbling upon him, as it were, and happening upon him and saying, ah, here we are, I've I found something useful here. 
Is it that people are on a search for truth? They're looking to try and find the true religion, the right way. And if they, if they knock on the right door, if they, if they knock on the, the gospel door, if they knock on the Jesus door, they happen to go inside and, and they save themselves in some way. They, they look for God, like you might look for gold or silver or precious minerals, and, and you find God. And that's your own quest answered. You've managed to find God. Well, well done you. Is that the way it works? No, it's not. Because you remember how the Lord Jesus himself said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Very unlike disciples in that time, the disciples would generally choose the rabbi that they wanted to go and follow. They, they attached themselves to him, but Jesus didn't work like that. He went and he found the disciples when they were in their boats. He said, come and follow me. And it's always been like that, you see, from the beginning. The sovereign God saves his chosen people and establishes his covenant with them. This unbreakable bond, this link, this unbreakable chain of salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son. I'll even put it to you like this. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? Is it a book for somebody, anybody, everybody, whoever might happen to pick it up? Is the Bible, as it were, just dropped from heaven and scattered around so you might pick it up and read it if, you, if, you, if it takes your fancy? No. The Bible is not a book given to humanity in some general sense. Because men and women and children in general will have no interest in reading the Word of God. What is the Bible? The Bible is the written testimony that God gives to his own people. And that means that the promises of the Bible, they are there for God's people to read and to take to themselves. What I mean is this. Take these words of Abraham to Abraham in chapter 15 and verse 1. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Can anybody claim those words? Should I knock on all the doors in Camberwell and say to people, or, or Pete do the same and say, look, these words are for you. They're your, you can claim these words. Well, you can't claim these words for yourself unless you belong to God, unless you are called by God, unless you have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're one of his people. You, you hear what the word of God is saying the Lord doesn't come to any old person with these words. He comes to Abraham with these words. And he says, fear not, Abraham. I know you. I know my person. I know my child, as it were. I know my chosen servant. I know you. I've loved you. I've called you. Fear not. I am your shield. I am with you. I will keep you. I will defend you. I will bring you peace from every enemy. Now, what I want you to understand is this. We're talking about fear. Did Abraham fear in his life? What do you think? Well, would the Lord say, fear not, Abraham, if Abraham had never feared in his life? Of course he feared. 
But the point is this, the people of God have this wonderful promise. God speaks to them and says to them, fear not. I am your shield. I am your shield. What sort of shield? Not a little shield. Uh, One of these great Roman shields, maybe one of these ones that covered the entire soldier. It doesn't matter what's going to be flung at you, what fiery darts come at you. It doesn't matter what enemies are going to hurl at you because nothing Nothing in all creation can ever separate the people of God from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look to me, Abraham. I am your shield and I am your great reward. That reward will be given, Abraham. You see in this chapter as it unfolds, the Lord says to Abraham, little by little, look. You mentioned children. I'll give you children. Go outside. Go outside on a dark, clear Middle Eastern night and look at the sky without the light pollution of big cities and things like that and try and count all those stars. Can you count them, Abraham? Can you count their teeming thousands? No, I've lost count. That's the point, Abraham. Your sons will be like that. Here they are. There's some of them here in Grove Chapel tonight. Abraham's children... Are you Abraham's children? Yes, you are if you have faith in Abraham's God. He's faithful. This is the reward. Abraham's worried about the land. I, I don't seem to have much land here, God. I have a little, I have my tent. I have uh, the odd well here and there as his life unfolds. And the Lord promises Abraham and says, I'm going to give you this whole land. You see how at the end of chapter 15 the Lord mentions not, not the usual seven nations that are mentioned often in, in Moses' uh, later writings, but ten nations. Ten nations will be dispossessed to make way for Abraham and his children to live there. Now, what's that saying to us? The Lord has a great inheritance to all those who look to him and believe in him And trust in the God of Abraham, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does God say to us later on through his son? He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The earth. It's ours. It's all here in Abraham, you see. It all unfolds. It all grows. It all attains fulfillment. Because we will inherit the earth. Not just this earth. Not this drought-affected, fire-affected, disease-ridden, corrupt, sad, dying earth. But a new earth where we will see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and be with him forever. Covenant declaration. God is saying to you tonight, my child, my friend. Abraham was called the friend of God. My friend. I'd like to, I wish I could just call you all out by name, but there's too many of you, and uh, some of you would feel left out. But, you know, if I would do it, but, you know, by name, the Lord says, yeah, I'll do a few, you know, Dave and Sheila and Ludwig and, uh, uh, and so many others who are here. God is your God. God is your God. The God of Abraham is the God of your name and your children.
the covenant God. He loves you. He's pledged to be with you. He's going to save you. He's declared it. That's the second CD. But there's a third CD, isn't there, that we have to hurry on to. It's the rest of the chapter from, really, from verse 7 onwards. Because do you notice, despite all that I've said, there's a sense in which this covenant declaration of God isn't enough for Abraham. He needs covenant demonstration. Covenant demonstration. What's this all about? Well, we go on to the remainder of the chapter. And there is this rather bizarre ceremony. Because even after Abraham goes outside and looks up at the sky and counts the stars and believes the Lord, the Lord comes to him again and says, Abraham, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abraham is still unsure. He's still worried. He's still confused. And he says, how how can I know that it's mine? He's very human, isn't he? Aren't we the same with one another? We, We talk to people and they assure us. And they say things to us. And they say things like, I, I promise I'll help you. I promise I'll listen to you. I'll, I'll, I'll be there when you arrive at that station. I'll, I'll give you a ring tomorrow at half past nine in the evening. And we hear their words, but we, there's something still missing in our sense of security and assurance, isn't there, sometimes? We, we hear what people say and we think, but how do I know you mean what you're saying? How do I know you're really on my side? And it's a bit like that for Abraham, isn't it? Lord, I've, I've heard your words. I've, I've seen what you've shown me. You've told me about my children. You've told me that Sarah, my wife, is going to have a son. You've told me that all this land's going to be mine. I've, I've heard you, but how can I know? Didn't we say two weeks ago that so much of our fear is the fear of uncertainty? I just don't know what's going to happen, and I'm worried and frightened. How's it all going to turn out? Can you do more for me, Lord? We think of Gideon, don't we, with his fleeces. He puts his fleece out so to know that God is going to deliver him from the Midianites, the, the wet fleece and the dry ground, the dry fleece and the wet ground. Well, God is very gracious. And what does God do now? Well, he t- tells Abraham to go through this ceremony, which I will describe very briefly. It involved the taking of animals and sacrificing them and cutting these animals in two, apart from the birds, which is a slightly interesting and mysterious idea as to why. But then these two, these pieces of broken animal are to be arranged in two rows facing each other. These pieces of carcass are set out in a row like that. Why? Well, it's an ancient covenant ceremony. The Lord is adapting himself to what would be familiar in Abraham's day, and it would be like this. Here's a great king. Here's the king of the Hittites. 
Here's the king of the Babylonians. Here's the king of the Sumerians, the Akkadians, whatever ancient king you want to think of. Here's a little king. Here's a minor king. Here's the king of Sodom or Gomorrah or the king of um, Admar or Zeboim or some of these other little kings mentioned in chapter 14. Great king, little king. The great king says to the little king, I make a covenant with you. I make a treaty with you. I, I swear that I will not attack you. Provided, of course, that you give me tribute and agree to serve me and agree to certain terms and conditions. We will seal an agreement. We will make a covenant. We will cut a covenant. That's the Old Testament language. We will cut a covenant. And they would do this exactly as is described here. They would cut animals in half. And then the two kings would solemnly walk together between the divided pieces of animal. Why would they do that? Well, it's their way of saying, should either of us break the terms of this covenant, may we be like these dead animals. May we be as these slain animals if either of us should break the conditions of our covenant. doesn't happen that way today, does it? Not quite. You go to the solicitor's office and you decide that you want to uh, take out a mortgage and you have to sign the mortgage declaration in ink, not in blood. But you will often say, or you have to say legally, there is some security insofar as if I were to break the terms of this mortgage, then I give permission for the lender to repossess my property. You see, if the covenant is broken, there has to be a covenant penalty in case you are unable to deliver on your terms. That's the idea here. It may sound very technical and very legal, but that's the picture. Now, what's going on? Well, at the end of the chapter, Abraham looks and he sees what's happening with these pieces of divided animal. And he sees a smoking fire pot and a burning torch moving between these divided animals. What does that mean? Well, do you remember when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness? They were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what did these things represent? They represented the very presence of God. They were symbolically God himself moving ahead of his people. And what's happening in what Abraham now sees is that God himself is symbolically passing between these divided pieces of dead animal. Notice this. Abraham is not walking that walk. Abraham is not walking between the animals. But God is. What does that mean? It means that God has sworn by himself that he will bear the penalty for the breaking of the covenant. It means that God knows 
that Abraham and his seed, the people that he's come to save and to rescue, that as they break the covenant, as they, as they do and will sin against God, they have no ability or power to, to, to cancel that breaking of the covenant and to redeem themselves in their own strength. They have no ability to do that. They can't save themselves. Any more than this sick child we thought about this morning can can save himself from this unique genetic condition and make himself better. He needs a doctor to cure him. Well, that's an analogy. But the point here is this. How can we be saved by God? Well, God takes upon himself the penalty for the sin of all those who are Abraham's children. It's born in the body of Jesus Christ because this ceremony is a picture of Calvary. It's a foreshadowing of what happens at the cross. The Lord of the covenant will establish the new covenant in his own blood. The cross of Calvary is the ultimate great covenant demonstration. But we have one final, final question, perhaps. And you might say to me, but you've changed your subject. I don't have a problem believing that Jesus Christ will save me. And this is a problem I think that many Christians are suffering from right now. The problem in my mind is not my, my assurance of salvation so much as my present fear, my anxiety, my uncertainty, my alarm, my, my sense of insecurity and vulnerability. I believe that I'm going to heaven, Lord. I believe that Jesus died for me. I, I see all that. But I'm more worried about here and now than I am about there and then. How does this speak to me about today and now and this problem I'm facing at this very moment? Understand this. The covenant Lord, the God of Abraham, is the covenant God to you and with you today and in the life which is to come. When you look at the life of Abraham, do you see a God who is saying to Abraham, as it were, from the heights of heaven, Abraham, just keep on going throughout your life, and then one day you will be with me when you've died, and that will be when you first encounter me. But until then, you've got to basically sink or swim. You've got to try and do your best. God isn't like that. He says, I am your shield. I am in the very nitty-gritty details of your life, Abraham. You've come back from this battle and you're, and you're weary and you're, and you're bruised and you're dismayed and you're feeling a bit depressed and you're wondering what's going to happen next and you don't know where your child is coming from, where the land is coming from. You're concerned about very physical, tangible things. Well, so is God. God is not only the God of the life to come, he is the God of the life that is here now. 
God is not only the God of your, of your spirit, of your soul, of your mind. He's the God of your body. God is not only the God of Sunday and of Grove Chapel and of, and of reading the word of God in, in, a, in a public place like this. He is the God of what you're doing at half past seven in the morning when the alarm goes off or you're going to work or whatever happens tomorrow. He's the God of your family. He's the God of your work. He's the God of your health. He's the God that is with you in every detail. Isn't that the great lesson of the whole Bible? The children of Israel were going through the the wilderness and God was with them. That was Moses' prayer, wasn't it? He he manages to obtain from God a, a guarantee that the Lord will actually bring them into the land of Canaan. And he'll send his angel with them. But Moses wants more than that. He says, I don't just want a promise I'm going to end up in the right destination. Lord, how can we possibly go and inherit that land unless you are with us? Actually, actively, really with us. Do you believe that God is with you? What is the name given to Jesus? One of the names given to Jesus, we know, don't we? Emmanuel. God is with us. And this is the Lord who says to us at the end of Matthew's gospel, Fear not, I, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. I am with you. My final thought is this. I think many Christians today, they're, they're quite strong on their theoretical doctrine, their theological understanding of perhaps how salvation works legally, how Christ dies for us, and, and these, these big and important subjects. But I think we've lost something very precious. It's that sense that our God is with us. That Jesus says, I will come to you, I will come, and my Father will come, and we will make our home with you. Do not fear, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You don't face tomorrow alone. Abraham didn't. We didn't. These words are for you to claim tomorrow morning when you're panicking. I am your shield. I am your shield. Try me, he says. Claim me as your shield. If you're looking to me, claim me, cry out to me. and I will be with you. Your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Well, let's spend some time in prayer. O Lord our God in heaven, forgive us when our view of you is too small and too inadequate. Lord, deliver us from a merely academic Christianity. Deliver us from a a merely theoretical and legal-sounding scheme. Forgive us, O Lord, when we have this picture of you only as one who is waiting at the end of life for us, and that you are not so intimately involved with us each moment, each passing hour. Lord, we know that the angels are with us now, if only we could see them. But more than this, we know that you yourself are with us, the covenant God, 
Lord, if we had but the faintest inkling of how detailed and how warm and how tender-hearted and, uh, and just how over, overwhelmingly kind and generous and fatherly was your covenant love to us, we, O oh Lord, would worship and praise you a thousand times more than we do. O oh Lord, our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, may all the promises that are yes and amen sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, may we claim them. May we use your word as that guide for life, for that word is your living word of the living Savior who is with his people day in and day out. Help us, Lord, to practice this now and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.